Welcome back to Sarah and Tech. I'm Sarah, and today we have Aaron. Aaron, you want to tell us what your, well, your previous title. How about that? <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I was the director of um, data engineering and analytics over at Simplot, and I've recently moved on to a strategic program for data science and agronomics and agri-science. So it's been an interesting road. <laughs> Basically, you're building the next smart farm, right? I, I think that's kind of the idea. Yeah. Yeah. We, we try to, you know, smart farm is actually a branded term that we have. So, you know, we're, oh. we're, we're working with um, agri-science or agronomic sciences uh, as, the, as the term because I think it's, it's important to, to stay broad when you're talking about these things because Simplot is a, a fairly diverse company. And there's a lot of different businesses doing a lot of different things. And as we try to bring all these things together, we try to use generally neutral terms. Mm -hmm. That aren't trademark or copyrighted. That's right. So that's right. I will not use that word. Oh, that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> Just a simplified way to say you're trying to put robots and sensors and a bunch of computer stuff a into a farm that's a full of dirt that's and plants. Right. That's right. A lot of tech on a lot of organic matter. Yep. Yeah. So... Take me through this. You were born, and now you're in charge of a bunch of cool data science yeah, stuff. Yeah. How does this happen? How, how, how does this happen? <laughs> you know, I, it, it's funny. I, uh, I took a meandering path through my career, and it's always been a meandering path uh, when it comes right down to it. Uh, going through high school, I think this is a fairly common story, right? I didn't know really what I wanted to do. And so I did my coursework because I really just didn't want to get in trouble right, with my parents. Um, that's so, that's always a good bet. So 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 in the interest of staying out of trouble, you know, I did what I was supposed to do, and then I went off to college. And it's always an opportunity to sort of find what you want to do, right, with your life. You know, sort of explore a lot of different things. And I went in, right, with this notion of I was going to do right computer science, and I took a class. And by take a class, I mean I sat through like maybe the first week, and you got one of those like brain teaser type puzzles. And I was like, this is not for me, right? So I'm out. And I decided I was just going to take this, this broad smattering of, of classes. And I ended up taking a calculus class and I took a philosophy class. And I can't even remember what the other ones were uh, because I, I fell in love, right, with the philosophy. Mm -hmm. And so I really start pursuing the philosophy. And my father looks at me and he's like, hey, uh, I really am glad that you found something that you love, but there's really no great way to make a living in philosophy. And I respect uh, my father's opinions. And so I said, okay, I will, I will try to find something else. And the math thing really appealed to me. So I started, you know, working right on math. And of course, being like the most difficult individual around, I went into theoretical math as opposed to, let's say, applied math. So you know, can't make it easy on myself. <laughs> so I start, I start working down this, down this road. And I, and I think everybody gets to this point where you, you start to have trouble, right? You start to hit that next level of activity. And I got to this point and I think it was, you know, getting to those linear algebras that are, you know, more advanced and that, that sort of borderline graduate, graduate work. And, and I realized that I was having a hard time and I had dropped out of my, um, you know, some of my other theoretical uh, math classes and I went and I spoke to my professor and, and I said, look, I'm, I'm having a really hard time with all of this. I don't know, you know, what I'm going to do. And he says, well, he goes, you have the aptitude. You're just way too uptight about the whole thing. So <laughs> I said, okay. And being 19 or 20 at the time, I, I relaxed the way every 19 or 20 year old does. And I grabbed some beer and I sat down to do math. And like this 
light bulb went off in my head and I was like, oh my goodness, this, you know, really isn't that hard. You just sort of have to follow, follow your nose. So I got through my, my undergraduate degree and, and like I said, being a meanderer, you know, through things, um, I sort of, you know, just sort of wandered. I didn't go directly to graduate school. I, I did some teaching. Uh, I went out to California. Uh, I worked in, in Silicon Valley for a while, found my way to Broderbund Software. Um, they did things like uh, Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego? So I don't know if, you know, some, some people will the be The TV familiar. show or the video the, game? The video game. <laughs> the video game, right? And Mist and Riven. These were some famous games, you know, in the, in the late 90s. Um, and, I, and I did that. And, and then I met, you know, it's like there's always a woman involved, right? I met my, my wife and left California and went back to New York. And I was sort of figuring out what, what I was going to do. And so I went to the local university and I was in Albany, New York at the time. And I said, hey, I'd like to sit in on, on one, of your, one of your classes. So I did. And I was doing really well. And they said, hey, you know, you're, you're not, you have an aptitude. And, you know, do you want to come to our graduate program? And I said, no, because <laughs> why, why take advantage of opportunities when they present themselves? Uh, but what I did do was I found my way into working in the electric markets and training people how to do electricity. And they paid for education. So... In that, in that general area in, in New York, right, mid-state New York around Albany, there's a, a university called Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, and it's, it's a, a, a pretty, good, pretty good school. So I apply, and they, they let me in, and I actually ended up with a, um, a National Institute of, of Health uh, scholarship, or, you know, they were paying for my, for my degree work. So I, I started working on, on that, and, and that sort of, that was the moment at which I, I really started to become serious, right, about, about this type of work. And I went through the master's program. I did not continue on my PhD because my wife had given birth to our third child and, you know, making $14,000 a year on a stipend is just no way to... And taking care of three and, kids. And taking care of three kids is no way to make that happen. So I then, right, I then went to work and, and my wife's a chiropractor, uh, retired now. She, she doesn't do that anymore. Um, and I went to work for the New York State Department of Transportation and, and did some work there. And then as soon as my wife had decided that, that she was sort of done with her business, because we couldn't just pick the business up and move somewhere, right? The business is where the business is. And that, that's when I sort of found my way to, to Idaho. Mm -hmm. And we had some friends who were moving here. They were going to go work for, he was going to, the husband was going to work for Micron. And of course, being good New Yorkers, we were like, where, where's Idaho? <laughs> what part of the yeah, country is it yeah, in the United yeah, States? It, exactly. You know, it's like, we, we have no idea where it is, but it turns out that it was fantastic. Right. And Idaho um, was a wonderful state and Simplot moved us out. And I sort of got into PSA. Don't move to Idaho. It's horrible. Okay? <laughs> right, right. Right. Terrible. <laughs> don't do it. Um, <laughs> and, and so I started working at Simplot and I, and I had the opportunity now to actually work for a company that was, that was doing more of this than I had seen before. And as a matter of fact, right, we talk about data science, and that's a really big thing, but operations research, mathematical optimization, those sorts of things, you know, have a lot of value, right, in them. If you can optimize a supply chain or something along those lines, you're going you're gonna to really move the, move the needle. And so that's how I got into, right, the, this whole field. And it was really, like, in the last maybe 10 years that I've really started to dive way more deeply right into the space and become, um, I'd say, more of a professional right, about it mm -hmm. um, at Simplot. And so, you know, the career at Simplot has been an interesting one. I started out, you know, as a developer, 
and sort of got into supply chains and then I got into solution architecture and then I got into management and then, you know, I started running more teams and then I find my, my way, you know, sort of like almost full circle now going on to, you know, these, these more uh, strategic efforts, you know, around precision agriculture and, and those sorts of things. And so that's the meandering part. It sort of doesn't matter. Just find your way. Be valuable. I mean, just follow wherever the, the path takes you, if you want. Yeah, yeah. I, as much as I would like to say that, you know, I have, like, plans and everything else in life, I I personally don't. I just sort of follow the opportunity, you know, where it where it can lead. I never have actually applied for a, a formal promotion, like, anywhere, right? I just try to be valuable and, you know, do do my thing and... Again, you know, that that lesson from my college professor of, you know, just don't be so uptight, right, about things, you know, always plays in, into mind, right? You can just sort of like be useful, be valuable, follow, right, follow the path. And be flexible to wherever calls you next. Exactly, exactly. Because it's, it's, um, this is my own personal, you know, thought process, right? It's, you never, right, you never, like get to that point of what are you going to be when you grow up, right? It's just, you're just always growing up, right? You're always finding that you're always becoming who you're going to be um, until the day that it stops, right? And then you're well, dead. I always hear that like in your head, you are 20 years old. You always see yourself as 20 years old. I don't see myself as 30. Right. And you always, you know, see that youthful vision of yourself. And so you always think, oh, you know, when I become an adult, when I become an adult, right. Right. But unfortunately, we are adults, huh? <laughs> well, it, you know, yeah, and, and, and you, you end up with adult responsibilities and you have to do, right, your adult things. Um, you know, but one of the things that I think sort of keeps me, me going, and, and, and maybe it's, it's uh, something that I got from my grandmother who lived to 103, right, was just this notion of nothing is going to, right, like hold me back. And, and her, her, like, notion was, like, my age is not going to stop me, mm-hmm. right? And, and I think I've... I've personally picked up, right, some of that, and, and I'm grateful for it because, um, you know, as those changes, you know, happen, if you, if you can look at the positives, right, you can, you can better engage, right, in what you're, in what you're going to do. I also had a great-grandma that lived to be 103, and at the age of 97, she got on the back of a motorcycle, not previously experienced right. on riding motorcycles, and I can the, just be half as adventurous right. as... My right. great grandma Georgia, I am. I'm sad. Yeah, you're you're you're, you're all sad. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I remember when my grandmother, like, I, she was in her 80s or her 90s. I can't remember. Like, and she was like, okay, I don't think I can do yoga standing on my head anymore. You know, it was some crazy thing like that. And I was like, I was like, what are you doing, right? But good for her. Right? Good for her. Never lose that sense of adventure. No, no not at all. Or in yoga's case, the actual act of being right. flexible. Right. Exactly. <laughs> So how did you decide to, you told me how you went into math and how that transitioned. When did you, did you ever formally learn how to program? No, no. Just Uh, taught yourself? Taught myself. um, Yeah, it, it was tough. I mean, honestly, it's uh, some of these things don't come naturally to me and programming is absolutely one of them. I make no I make no secret about the fact that I despise the act, right, of writing, of writing code. Um, 
you know, you, you sit there and you, you sort of like execute your code and there's you forgot some something somewhere. I, I get furious, right? Mice start <laughs> flying and, um, you know, things along those lines. But yeah, I taught, I taught myself, um, you know, how to code by really following right, these books, right? You, you can buy them, right, anywhere these days. You know, you can, you know, people are releasing free books. But, you know, if you go through them, you can you can learn. And then, you know, some of my, one of my favorite books of all time that I think really helped was, you know, Code Complete 2. It's a fairly famous piece of work. Um, I read that thing cover to cover. And, yeah, what, it sort of got... What language does it go into? It's It's not in any language. It's just, like, how to code well. You should probably read that. It's, it Most was, data scientists should probably read that. It was it was really it was really really good. Um, I have not mastered anything in that book. I guarantee you, but it was good. It was good. Help me out. What would you tell a child if they wanted to become someone that is the director of some sure something? That we don't know what you're the director of right now, but yeah, you're yeah, a director yeah. of a lot of stuff. You yeah, yeah. Well, I, yeah, I'm, I, I, like I said, I try to be valuable, right? Is, you know, if you if you want to progress your career, and this is this is a piece of of advice that I I give myself. I have to remind myself of this, and and others, right? Is your your skill set, and in the case that we're talking about, like data science or something like that, those are table stakes. Those get you to the conversation. Um, after that, it is your ability to work with other human beings, to be persuasive, to be able to explain your point, to be able to provide value from their perspective, right, as opposed to yours. And I think a lot of people sort of get tripped up when they think of technology or a skill set or an activity as the end itself, as opposed to the means, right, to the to the end. And you. you really have to think about that. And in business, if you can formulate what you're doing, right, in business terms, right, like how is this going to affect the bottom line? How is this going to drive, right, a business benefit? You are much more likely to succeed, right, than, than not. Um, and it was a real, uh, and honestly, there were a couple, there were a couple of events for me that, that were really sort of like, uh, what is it, like depression, incident inducing right where i was like oh my goodness this is horrible right and the first one was you know that the data prep collection and prep was the hard part right and then once it's in you know like your matrix format right you can just sort of like you know just throw some algorithms but it's on, like 90 percent right? of your time is getting is, it into is, that matrix is, format. is getting it in into that matrix format right and that was a real eye-opener right because you spend so much time studying these algorithms and all the minutiae and nuance of, of these things. And then you find out that you're, you've got to grind out, right, this data, right? So that, that, was, right, that was a tough one, right? And then after you spend all this time learning all of this in business, you could do all of this work and it'd be the greatest thing that you've ever done. But if you can't convince somebody to use it or it doesn't provide a business value, all of that work was for, was for nothing, Right, so literally nothing. A lot of data science now is emphasizing on, do you have the storytelling ability? That's right. Because a lot of us, we have the ability to code and sit right. down and do all that. But can we tell a convincing story to go with that beautiful model that gets 90% accuracy? That's right. And, and, that's, and that's exactly it. And, and I spent quite a bit of time, because I, I like to read, uh, reading books on how to influence people and um, how to talk to people. 
I spent a lot of time trying to learn how to be articulate and and make points from other people's point of view. Um, and and really, you know, we, we spoke briefly about my career progression where, you know, if, if, you know, whoever's listening carefully, right, would note that I've probably done, you know, maybe five, no, more than that, you know, at most 10 years, right, out of the, the 25 years of like actually coding and writing stuff and the rest of it, right, has been just the soft skills and the, and the working with people and, those sorts of things. Because um, that's the important part. I mean, you know, I, I hate to say it, but but some people will, will say that the skill to build a model is a commodity. You can hire that. Um, the business knowledge and the ability to communicate those things, uh, that's, the, that's the specialty right there. I mean, I even noticed in high school, I got nervous in front of right. other people while I talked. And right. I pursued theater because I was nervous in right. front of other people. You take that weakest skill set and you grow it out. Grow it, right. Until it becomes a strength. Yeah, and I, and I think that's right. And, and I, might be, I might be generalizing a little bit here um, from my own experience, right? But I'm an introvert and, you know, very similar. And it's, it's um, you know, I got into being a TA in college, getting up in front of a class, mm-hmm. right? Paying attention to human interactions and how they work because I spent quite a lot of time in offending people. Uh, you know, as I'd hang out in a social group uh, until I realized, well, maybe I shouldn't shouldn't do some of those things. I mean, we've talked previously and you made a comment about something Blizzard. And that's actually oh. like a family talking point at home now. We're like, at least it's not a Blizzard. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we, we get a lot of fun out of that. It yeah. makes us smile. Good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad. It, it actually caught on at Simplot as well. Uh, that, that, that term, but you know, humor is a big part of it, right? If you can, if you can disarm folks with genuine humor, right? I mean, you you can't be disingenuous, right? Otherwise you're just sort of like being manipulative, right? Um, but there are just ways, you know, you know, be articulate, you know, make eye contact, um, you know, understand things from, from other people's point of view and, and you can take right. That personality type that maybe does like writing code or doing math, Right and transform that and, and have that become this real, powerful, right skill that goes you know where you can actually utilize and maximize the benefit that you got into this space for in the first place right because you were like I can do wonderful things right with these skills, um, but that's like having you know, like whatever it is you know like I don't know if you if you grow plants but you know go to you know Walmart or depot and you know you can buy a plant and you know you get it home and it dies um you know but you, you have to grow right and, and give it all the nutrients that it needs and that's what the the social skills and the soft skills or as as one of my colleagues said the soft chewy center right of of life i mean if we did a plant analogy if all you did was pour i don't know nitrogen on a plant right. it could eventually kill the plant and if that's right. you don't water it and give it other things that's that it right. needs like sunlight yeah and the human is the same way just because you're insanely good at coding. You also yes, need the other skills. That's right. That's right. Exactly. So how do you stay inspired and motivated? You've done all these great things in all these different spaces. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, I was thinking about this recently because I have a, a friend of mine and who, who's out of Boston and he's always like, how do you, how do you do this? Right? How do you how do you keep going? And I don't have a great answer, right? I think I think the real answer is if you don't keep going, you stop. 
and I don't, I'm not a, a particularly, like, I don't, I don't like go off and, and do a lot of things out in the world. Um, because of my personality, I'm an introvert, right? But I do, I get up no later than 4am every day. Oh my goodness. Right? Like that's normal for a farmer. Right. Yeah. But I'm not a farmer, right? But you're. <laughs> I mean, I'm in agriculture, right? Right. Working for an agricultural company. Um, and I, and I find that if you find the things that you're interested in, like I love to read, um, I'll read about five books at a time, mostly because I get bored. Simultaneously? Yeah. Yeah. Like I'll put a pile over here. I'll read 10 pages, move it, grab the next one, read 10 pages, move it. Right. And, and sort of like go and then they come back the other way. <laughs> um, uh, and then I, you know, but, but I, I love that. I just, I just love learning things. And if you can find something that you genuinely, genuinely enjoy and doing, it's not, you don't need to be motivated, right, to go off and do it. Now, was I always like this? No, I wasn't. And, and I think this is the second part of it, which is motivation, a lot like physical strength, right? People can be born with, be naturally strong, but you can also develop it. Right? You can also work out. You can go to the gym. And I think motivation is very similar, right? You have, to, you have to have a goal and you have to go for it. And yes, every day is hard, but then it gets easier and easier and easier. And easier. I don't even think about the fact that I get up no later than four o'clock in the morning. As a matter of fact, I'm annoyed, right? If it's 4.30 and I just wake up, I'm like, day's over, right? What, what am I doing? It's uh, only 30 minutes. Yeah, it's, two, it's 30 minutes too many, right? Um, but you know, you, you don't think about it. You get up and, and you... And you go and you and you do it, and and for me, it became less about having to be motivated and more about having learned the skill, right, of doing, right. And I just apply that skill, right, to learning how to code and sit there and just you know rifle through, you know, textbooks and go, okay, I got, I have enough, right. Or um, one of my passions is philosophy, and and reading. So it never went away. You still are passionate about. Oh my philosophy. goodness! Oh my god! Like more so than math, right? Um, like, but to, couldn't you just say philosophy is just or math is just philosophy with numbers? Uh, you, you you could as well the theoretical stuff. I would I would absolutely, I would absolutely agree with that. Um, right, and you just you just sort of do it, and you you get just to get better at it. So I think it's a combination of find what you're interested in, and and practice because right? you have to practice. You know, like you know we're we're, we're here here today mm -hmm. um i was a little nervous right but it's like you know what let's go let's let's do this let's let's, let's experience something new and have some fun mm -hmm. i mean this is only my fifth time right there you go <laughs> so i'm just as nervous as you if maybe not a little bit more because my butt's on the line a little bit <laughs> well I, I admire the fact that you're doing this well good for you i just want to get out the word that there's a lot of very talented people that are really good at tech and they didn't always start out being like, you know, in 10th grade, right. I'm going to absolutely right. go into tech and they have interesting stories. And I think the consistent thread I see throughout everyone is that they keep trying and right. it's a little bit of luck and it's a lot of bit of trying. Yes. And with those two things together, you can make it happen. Yeah. And I think that's a great observation, right? Um, because the, the luck part, you know, it's it's um, it's one of those things, right? There's like the Obi Wan Kenobi, right? There's no such thing as luck. You know, sort of, sort of, sort of statement. It's it's find those opportunities, find find that moment, and like run through it. And and you can only find an opportunity if you're prepared 
to see an opportunity. And this, this ties back to, ties back to the, uh, the motivation thing, right? If you're sitting on your couch, the opportunities are just going to pass you by, mm -hmm. right? The only way you're going to see opportunities is getting out, right, and doing something. And sometimes that involves improving yourself. Sometimes it involves just meeting people. Sometimes it involves something else, right? And so you can't, can't say, oh, life, is, life isn't happening for me. It's like, well, you, in a sense, you have, to, you have to engage life in order for life to happen. I mean, if you're standing in the backwoods, you're, you get to enjoy the scenery, but you're not right. out right. among all of the insanity. Exactly. Exactly. I get asked a lot, like, how do you do so much? And just, just do it. I don't watch TV and I just keep that's going right. out. And <laughs> yeah, that, that's a, you know, that's a, that's a really, that's a really good point, right? Is, is how much time, you know, is spent, right? Maybe not doing things that are engaging, right? In like watching TV or something. Along Consuming versus creating. That's and right. Going out and making connections. That's right. That's right. So who do you see as a mentor? It's a really good question. Um, there, there are two people, one who is a live human being and, well, they're both live human beings. Oh. One who I, I've met. Okay. And like speak to on a regular basis and, and one who I read, right? And so... I won't reveal the name, but it's somebody at Simplot who I use as a mentor, you know, when I'm, when I don't know, right? Like sometimes, like you run into situations, right? And, and he happens to be really good, right? At business and people and, and things along those lines. And, and I know where my weak spots are. And so I'll go and I'll, you know, sort of talk to him and he'll give me his perspective and, and things along those lines. And I, and I use that and I, and I greatly, greatly appreciate that. Um, and then the other Right is is a philosopher named Edward Fazer, and and he he's a philosopher, the scholastic philosophy, you know, so like Aristotle and and those sort of like before, like modern philosophy came came about, and I just find his stuff to be absolutely incredible. And so he's got a blog out there that's you know edwardfazer.blogspot.com or whatever it is. You know, <laughs> should go, and. And I just love reading his stuff because, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas, which is a lot of what he, he writes about, was this really prolific writer in philosophy. And it was, it was, you know, really addresses, you know, a lot of things and, you know, uses Aristotle, right, as the source material, you know, for, for things. And then, you know, I love philosophy, right? especially Greek philosophy. So do you have a favorite, like, philosophical toy or thing that you think about a lot, a toy problem, if you will? Oh, interesting. Um, I know that I can't stand epistemology, right? What does that exactly mean? Right, I'm so, not so, familiar yeah, with this Yeah, space, yeah, yeah. So, so well, you're going to have to let help me. me. Let, me let me phrase it differently. Um, I don't like, right, this, this notion where people are like, can you really know the real world, right? Because your sense impressions, like, you know, I'm looking at you right now. Mm -hmm. You're looking at me. And the light is hitting the eye and, the, and it's going in and it's, you know, creating signals right in the brain. And so right, this notion philosophically of, I don't actually see you, right? What I see is this mental representation, right, of it. And so then these very clever philosophers are like, you know, you know, you can't know the real world. And I'm like, ah, oh, good Lord, give it a rest, right? You know, <laughs> of course we know the real world, right? You know, I dare you live Live 10 minutes pretending that it's not real. I, you know, you'll get hit by a car or something. I mean, even and, if we were in a virtual reality and we all just have goggles over yeah. us, 
but this is our experience. And so can you argue that it isn't real, even if it is VR? Well, well, and you know, and so you get into these these conversations, and I find that, you know, if you get into a conversation about, you know, is stuff real? That that might be the easiest way to stop doing anything, right? You, it's, it's like it's like you're just done, right, at that point. Um. So. You know, skip right over that, right? <laughs> just, okay. Right. No, stuff no. Stuff is real. Yeah, we'll yeah. Go like with that for now. Like stuff is real, and then you know, you sort of get into, you know, at that point, the the discussion of you know what is the essence, right, of real of real things, um, and you know, you Aristotle had the, this notion, right, of of the four causes, and and it's and you know my my favorite example is you know like if you're if you're making a table or a statue or something like that, there, you know, it's like, what makes that happen? Like, how does that come into being? And Aristotle says, well, there are four things, right? One, you have to have a reason, right, for doing anything. Like, like there's a couch, right? The couch was made, and the couch was made so that way people could sit on it. Uh, but that doesn't make a couch, right? Well, well, what else do you need? Well, you need the material, right, that the couch is made out of. Well, having a reason and having a pile of material does not make a couch, Right? Well, what else do you need? Well, you need a design, right? So you have a pile of material, you have a design, and you have a reason, but that still doesn't make a couch, right? Now you need the skill, right, to actually put it together, right? And that, right, actually makes something, you know, real. And I, I personally am drawn, right, to that notion of that conception of reality and that conception of what is real, as opposed to, Right, things are just random collections, right? That that sort of like happened to come together in this world, just sort of like randomly, you know, happened. It's it's sort of like no, there's a purpose, right? There's a purpose to that table, and you know, you can conceive of the world, right, in terms of purpose. And I like that, right? And so it brings me back to right, sort of kind of like this topic, right? Of you know, like data, right? Data has a purpose, right? Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, we we sort of some people collect data without a purpose. They do, they do, and I and I would agree with you except for they're not collecting random numbers. That's true. There is sometimes a signal in the, that data. There, there, there is a, a signal, right? Or else, what's the alternative? That it's just random. But people do collect random numbers. We have numbers books that are just full of random numbers. True, for a purpose. So that way we can do random number generation. Yeah, right. Or Which, use it in, in, in randomizing. Right. Like you never sit there and just like do random stuff. I mean... I'd love to see somebody do that. I think it would be hilarious. <laughs> well, I'm trying to be a contrarian. I'm not coming up with very good <laughs> no, it's, rebuttals. It's, so it's you all right. have a point. And, and, and I appreciate that because, right, because, and I think that's the other really important part, right, is, is we, we need to press, right, on ideas and we need to press on, on how we conceive of things so that way you can know at a deeper level, right, these things. So, so I appreciate the, the pressing on that. Because I, I don't believe, right, and this is what draws me, right, at least philosophically to data science, right, I think is probably the draw, which is, which is data to me does something that other things can't do, right? It, it's, um, I was reading an article today and it was like the digital dust, right, of people's activities is how they were framing it. And I'm like, oh, that's an interesting conception. The but data you leave behind. The from data you leave behind, like you're surfing, is... you're surfing the web, or you know, and you're leaving this this trail, right, of, of data. And I I don't like. I understand what the author was saying, but I don't like the way that it's framed up. What what I prefer to say, right, is that like that data that you're you're generating, right, is capturing something that is remarkably intangible, right, which is your preference, right. You're like like I like 
you know, X, Y, or Z, you know, blue shirts. I don't, I don't know. Um, and so you if know, you will, it's kind of like a fingerprint in that these are the things that I like. And based on my prior experiences and memories that I have, and I have preferences towards these. Therefore, if I go and do something similar to that, we can tell that that's it's right. you. That, that it's you. And you can capture a preference, right? Which is remarkably intangible, right? As far as things go, business process is the same way, right? You can't touch a business process. You can't touch a supply chain. It's a, it's a set of activities spread over a set of, of hard assets. And it's like, well, can you put a supply chain in a box? No, no, you cannot. Is it real? I think everybody would say, yeah, it is. It's like, well, then if it's real, how can you not touch it? And, and I think data like does something that you can't do otherwise. You can actually take something that is a concept, right? And make it more real. And, and so that way you can actually affect the real world, right? Through data where, whereas before, you know, it was far more difficult to do. And I think this has huge implications for security and privacy and everything else. Because if data isn't random, right? And it's actually touching something real, mm-hmm. right? Or coming from something real, well, then some of that reality comes along with it. And if you can now find out people's preferences or touch a, a business process or something along those lines, and of course, you know, data brings along with it something that real life doesn't have, which is you know, like it, uh, it stays, right? You store data, you look at history, and it's just as real tomorrow as it was yesterday because mm-hmm. you're storing it in a database, right? You get this new, this new set of capabilities that, that come along with it. And the example that I use right, is, is this notion of why do we use, right, the, the Arabic numbers, you know, the base 10 numbers, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, you know, for math and not Roman numerals. Right? It's because Roman I'm, numerals are a pain in the butt to work with. <laughs> or the fact that the Mayans use base 32, eight. or you could do a base 8, or computers do binary. They, they do binary, right? But some forms of numbers have capabilities that other forms don't have. And that's sort of the point, right? When you take something intangible like a business process or preferences and you change their form into data, you get new capabilities that come along with the new form that you did not have, have before, which I think is a very powerful sort of uh, way of looking at it. Well, that is a different perspective. Yeah, it's always good to like reframe and get a new angle on yeah. data and leaving your, I, I, I sort of say these desk. things sometimes and people look at me like, yeah, okay. So, you know, what's the value? And I'm like, I think I just told you, what I think the value is, but okay, well, I guess we'll try again. <laughs> There's definitely a lot of value in what, what we just went through. <laughs> um, so what is something that you would tell your grandchildren to influence them? Oh, yeah, that's a good question, right? I, I've got this, this, this rule. I read a book called Radical Candor, and I don't know if you're familiar with, with the book, but basically, right, the, the whole book is like the title, right? Just like be honest and and um, be honest with yourself, right? And be honest, right, with others. Because I, I don't believe that you can have a real relationship in business or in your personal life or, or with yourself if you're lying to yourself, right? And so this sort of gets us back to the motivation thing, right? If you are constantly out there living life, you can find out more about yourself. And if you can find out more about yourself, you can have more genuine relationships, right, with other people and deeper relationships. And, and so the advice right, is to be honest, you know, with yourself and then sort of like face the world, right? And don't think you'll ever be done, right? Just, you know, what we were talking about, right? Which is, which is you don't grow up, you become, 
right? And you continue becoming, right? And you can't really do that if you, if you're not willing to introspect and you're not willing to engage. Right? And it isn't just a pivotal moment. It's something that accumulates over time. And, and, it, and it does, right? And, and then your, your perspective changes on the world and then new opportunities open up and then you can explore new, new things. And so, and so I'm really big on, on the truth and, and integrity because I think that's foundational to, right, to everything. You would hope that most of our human existence is dependent on trusting other humans and hoping right. that they are telling the truth. We're relational and we want people to tell the truth, right? It's, it's sort of like how con, you know, con artists work, right? Is, is you want to believe, right? You want to believe. I think, I think we're programmed to want people to tell the truth and to believe. And, and I don't want to disappoint anybody, right? In that it's like, you know, here it is. Uh, when I manage people, I make a promise to them, you know, which is you will always get the truth from me, good, bad, whatever, right? Here it is, you know, lay it out. And, and if, um, you know, and, and in business sometimes, right, especially as you move up the corporate ladder, you're given information that you can't share. So the way that I handle that, that problem is, you know, somebody maybe will ask me about something that I know, but I'm not allowed to share. I'll say, I do have information, right? But I, I can't share it, right? Again, just, just being honest, right, in all things. Mm -hmm. I definitely always appreciate leadership when they're open and honest I and have good communication. I think everybody does. I feel like that's like a required course that management right. should take is like how to have open and honest communication. And Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. So how would you define success? <sighs> Boy, that changes every five years for me. Um, I think, I think when, when I was younger, right, success was, you know, reaching a certain point and, you know, in my career. And I think as I've gotten older, right, success sort of takes on a much deeper, like a much deeper meaning. And it, it has to do more with, you know, am I fulfilling, right, my mission and my potential, right, as a person? Because I think when you're younger, you tend to compare yourself to other people mm -hmm. and, that's a losing proposition because there's always somebody better at you than at, at something. And how do you get happiness if you're right. always, always trying to? Yeah, yeah. And so for me, and so for me, right, success now is being measured right in stoic terms, right, which is how well did I handle a setback, both in terms of my activities that I did to to overcome it, and in my emotional response, right, to it. And, and that's how I judge myself. Both of those things are within my power, right, to, to do. And then that, that makes things, I'm not setting myself up to lose in that case. I always find not reacting to the situation in the situation is the best. Yeah, when I <laughs> learn to do that, maybe you can teach me how to, how to do that. I can't say I've mastered it. I just know that I should yeah, not yeah. react. That yeah. doesn't mean I'm the best. Yeah. yeah, so counting to 10 sometimes doesn't work. Sometimes I got to count yeah. to 1,000. You can't stand <laughs> up in a boardroom and be like, I need to count to 10 right now. Right, anyway. right, right, right. <laughs> it's generally <laughs> frowned upon for some reason. I don't it, know. It is, it is. And that's, you know, that's a very deep point, right? Emotional control and, and discipline, right, is a valuable skill. Mm -hmm. You could say that you're not being open and honest when you do have emotional control. You, you could, you could. Um, and that's a really, that's a really good point. But I think there's a way to stay true to yourself in the sense where you, and I've had people say this to me, they, they've said, I've, I'll be having a conversation with them. And, and I had a, um, like an executive say, you know what, this is making my blood boil. And I appreciated that, 
right? There was no emotional outburst, but you knew what they were feeling. Mm-hmm. And, and I, think, I think it's important for everybody to be honest because we're not robots and nobody's a robot. And, and I don't think whether you're an executive or just entering your career, uh, I don't, you know, just going, I just don't think that you can really make real progress unless you can at least be honest, right, with yourself and others right, mm-hmm. about those things. And I've said that. And I'm like, you know what? I'm getting really annoyed right now. Um, that is a good way to handle it. Yeah. Tends to diffuse. Yes, things. that's that's true. When you, because half the time, if you say like, "Hey, this is making me really angry," everyone's like, "It's also making me angry too." Right, 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 right. And that kind of opens the door for everyone to be a lot more honest. Yeah. So what is the biggest thing you want to accomplish within the next five years? Yeah, um, I've been struggling with this one because I've been thinking about it a lot lately. Um, You know, ultimately, like a goal, right, that is within my control, right, is to actually start developing, right, some philosophical, you know, thinking around information. We were just touching on that, you know, a little bit. And... You know, I think there's something alluring to taking Greek philosophy from 2,000 years ago, right, and applying it to something that is uniquely modern, right, you know, which is this influx of data and information mm-hmm. and everything that goes along, that go, goes along with it. Because, you know, if you can, I think it, it sort of hints at these enduring truths, right, in philosophical thinking and, and maybe even sort of points to, you know, like, what it means, right, to live, you know, which is, you know, like Greek thought was a lot about, like the Stoics were about how to live, right, a good life. You know, Plato and Socrates spoke about this, you know, quite a bit. Aristotle spoke about everything, so. Have you thought about writing your own book? I have, and and I have, a, you know, like a three or four page outline. Mm-hmm. Um, and like the next step for myself is to actually get up and start writing mm-hmm. instead of reading you know, at four in the morning. Uh, but that habit is, is kind of hard. It's kind of hard to break. Especially when you enjoy it. Especially when you, especially when you enjoy it. So I've been, I've been sort of wrestling with like how to go about right doing that. And, and, you know, being very honest, I've, you know, it's like, oh my goodness, I'm getting, I'm getting older. Like how many people write books, you know, when they're older. But then I read this great book by Will Durant. I think it's called The Story of Philosophy. And a lot of the, a lot of philosophers, right, tend to start a little bit older in life because, you know, you sort of have to have a little bit of life experience in order to be mm-hmm. like halfway decent at, at philosophy. And so I was like, whew, uh, thank goodness, you know, maybe I can start. Well, I can definitely hook you up with some friends that are actively working on books or have published books. Well, that and would be fantastic. They could maybe give you advice. I would love that, as a I matter of fact. I have not written a book yet, so... Yeah, it's a lot of writing. Yeah, it is. I mean, I made an outline. That's about as far as I got. Yeah, that's 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 where I'm at. That's where I'm at. <laughs> so uh, maybe I should also tag along to those right. advice <laughs> sessions too. <laughs> so where do you see agricultural technology going? Yeah, I, I think it's only going to grow. Uh, I think it's almost inevitable, right, at the end of the day. Um, it's a necessary thing. We cannot exist without food. That is how we get all our food that's and, and needed. That's, yeah, I mean, look, I never met farmers before I moved to Idaho. And here's what I learned. They know what they're doing. Yes. They're really, really good, right, at what they're doing. Yes. And it's, it's really quite impressive. 
But the next step, right, you could know, like, as, as you know, there, there's a certain limit that you're going to hit because of maybe the variability of the data, right? There's only so much you can squeeze out of it, right? So some of this technology will not progress beyond where it is now until you get more data with a tighter, tighter variability. But that's not the only way, right, to make progress, right? You can make progress in terms of capturing expert knowledge, right, that is out there. So let's say you have people who have farmed 50 years and they exist, right? And they're going to retire. Mm-hmm. What, are you, what are you gonna do? Like, like how, do you, how do you transfer that knowledge, right, over? Well, one of the ways is you build a model, right, that replicates <laughs> the decision-making process. I'm, I'm thinking though, most of these farmers have children and they have them on the farm with them and they uh, pass along the knowledge inside the family. In some cases, yes. And in some cases, no. And, you know, the younger generation, this is just my understanding, right, is definitely more tech savvy, mm-hmm. right? And so they want this stuff, right? So there'll be a bit of a pull. And then I think, you know, to your point about, you know, we have to feed people and, you know, how do you capture this? But one of the things that I find fascinating, right, about mathematical modeling is that you're sort of capturing a decision-making process about about a, a, a process, right? So it's not like, it's not like potatoes grow like they have a different biological process every time they grow. They have roughly the same biological what? process every time are they you, grow. Are you saying potatoes are similar from year to year? <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying that potatoes are similar from year to year. And if you can capture, right, that, the, the wonderful thing is that it's captured. And, and now, you know, maybe you don't need, you know, 20 years of experience to, to become, like, really good at, at farming. Maybe you can start off right, at a, at a, you've raised that minimum level of productivity, right, just right out of the gate, and then you can add that expert knowledge right on top of it, and then, of course, you're always growing that until you get to full automation, right, and so I think that's kind of where we're, it's kind of where we're headed, right, is, is this notion of, you know, just always gathering more information, always creating better automation, capturing ex- expert knowledge, and then, you know, in my mind, it may, may be 50 years from now, but you've got this almost fully automated right farm right and you've got the the drones that are spraying and then you've got the things that are picking up the weeds and you know so on and so you don't forth. even have to schedule the drones you don't have to do anything right it's it's just sort of it's just sort of doing its thing and i think that's just a natural evolution to where things are going so i'm sure you've seen um the two things i'm about to mention but you know uh the tractors that actually are self-driving and like yes. gps aligned and right they beat the smart cars are already out on right. the fields driving themselves and then the other thing is, have you seen the giant combines that have lasers attached to them that will actually just zap all the weeds? You know, why, why am I thinking of Dr. Evil with you know, <laughs> sharks with lasers on their, on their heads? <laughs> There's also a shark in this farm field. <laughs> okay, good. I think there has to be. I would love to see a shark on the front of that combine with the laser. <laughs> it's driving the combine <laughs> that's, that's, that's right. self-driving <laughs> that's and it's actually right. in a water compartment on there. I have not seen that one. That, that's, I'm going to go look that up. But that's, I was really impressed. So they didn't need to use as much pesticides because right. it would just go through scan, do uh, like uh, computer vision on the leaves to see whether or not that plant was supposed to be growing there. And if it wasn't, it zapped it right. with a laser. And I was and, just like. And, you know, and that, that's really, that's a really good point, right? Because this mechanical, you know, that that's quasi mechanical removal of, you know, like weeds and, and things like that, you know, has this this wonderful, you know, side effect, which is you're not spraying, right, 
things and putting chemicals down and, and all of those things. And so these are the developments that are going to be out there. And I think I think the the whole imagery vision aspect to this is huge, right? Because farmers go out and they look, right? And they, they have this knowledge and you, you look and you see. And of course, with imagery and classification and everything else, you know, be able to look, just make a you decision. You have that right, and phone boom. right in your pocket and you just scan right. and, oh, this has this type of right. ailment on the leaf. You need to apply this sort of it's, thing to and, deal with it. And that's and exactly it. That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, there's a lot of progress. I'm sure it's one of the few like fields where data science is being applied. Well, I'm sure there are many fields I'm just not aware of. Right. But like, it feels like it's none of it is commercially available, really. But it feels like it's going to do a giant vertical leap. I, th- I think or so. Or they haven't like, it's not, some people might be resistant to the application. Yeah, I, I think there are a couple of things that, that go on there. You know, if you think about, I use like Amazon or, you know, any of these, what I, and I don't know if this is a real term or not. It's the only one that I can come up with, right? These digitally native businesses, right? Where like information is just a part of how the company runs, right? Or, um, right, that's sort of like, it's fascinating, but it's also like the lowest level, right? It's the beginning point, right? When you get to something that is not digitally native, and I think farming has got to be the furthest thing away from like a digitally native, right, type type activity. Yeah, once the once you start collecting all that information, once you start doing all of that stuff, you know, then you're going to get this, you know, this this constant growth. I mean, some of the challenges that you you end up with are, you know, you've got these farmers who are excellent at what they do, and then you ask them to collect data, and they're like, well, why should I collect data? I'm really good at what I do. And you're like, well, because, you know, in 10 years, right, we'll be able to, and they're like, uh, this really doesn't feel like a great idea to me. And it's like, you know, well, in a sense, it's not a great idea. You're going to have to put in a lot of time. Yeah. So in 10 years, it might work out. That, that's right. That's right. But they have a guaranteed, I know this will work in 10 years. Why do I need? Right. Right. We're sort of, by the way, you know, from from what we were talking about, right, is, is what got me thinking about, you know, is there a way to discuss the inherent value of data and what it's capturing, right? So that way you can see the future now, right, without having to show, quote unquote, immediate ROI on something that maybe will take 10 years, right, to get something out of. And that's, that's sort of how that, that whole thought process, you know, started of Aristotle and data. Well, that's a very cool thought process. Thanks for letting us walk through your mind for a little bit. Uh, well, you're welcome, I think. <laughs> so, rapid fire. Okay. What's your favorite programming language? Uh, Python, because I'm using it right now. Okay. What's your favorite technology stack? I don't have one. Who's your favorite philosopher? Uh, St. Thomas Aquinas. Oh, yes. You did tell me that. I'm yeah. very sorry. What is something that brings you the most joy in your life? Uh, that would be, oh, that's a tough one, right? So my, (laughs) yeah, my, my, my kids are truly the light of, of my life and just watching them grow up and become adults has just been absolutely incredible. And it's been such a a learning experience for me as well. I think it's just made me a better person. Mm -hmm. I definitely am on board on the having kids part. Yes. Yeah. Definitely yeah. makes you a better person. My, my youngest is 15 right now. and <laughs> They just don't necessarily make you live longer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, have, I have to admit, because we've, we've had this, this focus on telling the truth, we have these very open conversations. I mean, may, like, sometimes it's things I just don't want to know. 
right? But but we're having the conversation and and it's really paying dividends, you know, now, um, you know, as they get into these tougher years, right, of, of teenagehood. And, and um, you know, just, just the other day, you know, one of my kids came to me and said, um, I need your help. And he didn't actually need help. What he needed to do was talk. And he did. And he's, you know, off doing his thing. And, and you know, sort of like he, he made like a step change and, and is off. And, I, and that's why I'm just so focused on, right, my kids and the truth and, and things along those lines, because I think it makes a difference. It does. It, it really does. And always being a very present parent. Yeah. It yeah. greatly impacts them. And you, you won't know the impact until they're older. So. No. And then, of course, you see all the ways that you failed, right? Um, you know, as I like to say, having kids is like a, a series of N equals one experiments. Like, you always get one more experiment. You well, always well, get one more. Yeah. Yeah. But in the moment, they're kind of screwed. So what is something that keeps you up at night or a big fear or stressor? Um, you know, it's, it's being able to take care of my kids until they are old enough to take care of themselves. I don't have... Like, I, I talk to my wife about this a lot. I don't really worry about myself so much. I, I really believe as soon as, like, my youngest is 21, I'm going to end up, like, bartending somewhere or doing something. I'm just going to be like, ah. Don't, nope. <laughs> You're totally going to be at Simplot. Uh, oh, hey. No, no, no. I'll work at Simplot and bartend. Oh, okay. Um, there we go. There no, we go. But, but, you know, the, the point, you know, it's, it's sort of like a, a, a joke, but, you know, you have kids, you invest, and... And I just want to see them sort of get off and be, and be adults because I know I can take care of myself, right? That's, but watching them learn to take care of themselves is stressful because I'm like, are you going to make it, right? Are you, please make it. Because <laughs> we are, the parents are the safety yes. net. That's right. So when they That's fail. Right. Yeah, you pick them up and, and you, you, you set them down and you, and you, you, you know, they, they, they go forth and, you know, you, you want them to be successful and you want them to be happy and, you know, and so those are the things that, that, that I worry about. And, and I think about like, when I think about work stressors, it took a lot of thinking, by the way, to, to come to this conclusion. My stress at work has absolutely nothing to do with the stress at work. It has to do with, is it going to impact my family? And I find that I can handle things better when I know it's not going to impact my family. And so, right, so by, you know, you follow that reasoning, as soon as they are out on their own, well then, <laughs> I'm gonna be super relaxed. There's nothing left to worry about. There's literally nothing left to worry about at that point. So or you, anything that I care about. So do you have any closing thoughts or? You know, uh, you know, the premise, right, being, you know, getting into technology and, mm -hmm. and things along those lines. You know, my closing thoughts are, you know, technology, especially data science, I think is just a fascinating, fascinating field. I think it's, it's you, you can think hard and make a difference, uh, but you cannot lose sight of the human aspect, right, of all of us. And I'd, I'd say that it's, it's the more important side, right, of, of the technology front. Because I think if we, if we lose sight of, you know, morals and ethics associated with it, we, we, we can find ourselves, right, doing things that maybe we didn't intend, right, to do. And I think, you know, there's been examples where models have been trained you know, in a biased sort of way. Mm -hmm. And we have to be careful, right, about it. You can, ne you can never get away from the human side of things. I have so many opinions about bias. Right? No, no, but, but seriously, right? It's, it's like it's, you can't just collect the data 
you have to think about what you're collecting, what the purpose is right at the end of it. So that way you don't find yourself doing something stupid. Um, and so I think that's, that's probably my, my big closing thought. I want to make one comment about bias data. Mm-hmm. It's just that it's a reflection of the person collecting it I agree. rather than the actual situation. I, I, I agree 100% with that, with that statement, right? Which is why, right. This, this conversation we've had self-reflection, understanding, mm-hmm. you know, all of those things you cannot, it's never just collecting data, right? There's, there's always human beings, our point of view, our outlook, our preferences, our dislikes, you know, sort of all, right? Get, in, get into this messy mix uh, of things. Well, Aaron, thank you so much for coming on and talking tech and philosophy and data science. Well, thank you for having me. Really enjoyed myself. And that's Sarah in Tech. Very good. Thanks for listening to Sarah in Tech. Feel free to email me at sarah at sarahintech.net or follow me on Instagram at sarahintech. Hope you enjoyed listening. <laughs>